Welcome to Building Boston and Beyond, an educational podcast providing residents with information on the economic growth of their community and the many resources and services available to improve their quality of life. From discussions with public officials, businesses, organizations, and people wanting to affect change, Building Boston and Beyond aims to further educate and empower residents to have a voice, connect with their community, and join the decision-making process. Nurses at St. Vincent's in Worcester, Mass. are facing a new battle. Last year, it was COVID-19. Now, it's with their employer, Dallas-based Tenant Healthcare, a private for-profit healthcare company. Nurses' plea for an increase in staffing continues to be dismissed by Tenant, as the strike exceeds 100-plus days. It is important to understand why negotiations between Massachusetts Nurses Association MNA and Tenant Healthcare remain at a standstill. Joining us today is Marie Ritako, Vice President of MNA. Marie, in her 39th year as a nurse, is passionate and committed to ensuring patient care is not compromised, that safe staffing ratios are implemented, and nurses are provided the tools to perform their job in appropriate patient care conditions. Welcome, Marie and thank you for joining Building Boston and Beyond. Thank you, Rose. Marie, your advocacy and support of patient ratios and safety continues. Your strength and energy hasn't wavered on this fight. You have decades of experience on the front line, caring for the sick, connecting with patients, losing patients. Let's talk about why MNA's demands are so important to you for patients and for the future of quality health care. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, the reason that it's important to the nurses of St. Vincent Hospital is because our patients' lives are hanging in the balance. Um, you know, we were fighting this healthcare corporation, Tenant Healthcare, uh, for quite some time prior to the pandemic. Nurses in earnest, came to the labor management table to tell the hospital and our administrators that there were too few nurses at the bedside. We were watching patients literally suffer because we could not get to them in a timely manner. When somebody puts on a call light, they need you, whether they're having chest pain or shortness of breath or having discomfort and they need to be medicated or need a drink of water, or maybe just need somebody to talk to because they're frightened. And far too often, we were finding that we could not get to that bedside in a timely manner, and patients were suffering. You know, they were falling, uh, developing bed sores, uh, developing urinary tract infections, suffering in pain. And uh, so the reason this is so important is because our patients are suffering. And why the standstill? Uh, How many attempts to negotiate? Uh, We've been at the table. How how many times prior to uh, going out on strike? You know, probably two dozen times since going out on strike. I believe we met 
three times. The last day was May 5th that we actually negotiated. And the standstill is simply because the hospital has dug in. Uh, they have a lot of money to try and wait us out to see if nurses will, um, you know, fall apart, lose their will to stay on the line. Uh, today, we're in our 108th day, and I can assure you that the will of the nurses is stronger today than it was on March 8th, which is the first day that we went out on strike. Um, so, yeah, I mean, simply they are trying to break the nurse's will. Uh, and uh, I don't believe we can be broken. In fact, I know we can't. Well, it's evident that you've built a united front over the past hundred plus days. And again, as you mentioned, it is challenging. Uh, we, we all have bills, loved ones to support and family to care for. But clearly the, the passion behind this, and it's evident with the so many nurses that are standing with you, is clearly demonstrating that the support is there. Uh, talking about support, uh, you have strong political support uh, and, and private support. What's that like? Well, the political support that we've received has been very gratifying. Uh, from day one, you know, the first uh, elected official that came out was Ed Markey, and uh, he, in very stark terms, told the hospital <clears throat> that they were on the wrong side of this issue, that the nurses were on the right side, because we're on the side of the patient. Um, there's only one reason we're out there, and that is because, you know, conditions in the hospital are unsafe. And it could not be tolerated one more day. We tried for two years to get them to discuss staffing in that building, and they would not do it. So we actually had no choice but to bring this fight to the streets. Um, and you're right, this is a very difficult task uh, to undertake. Uh, our families are hurting, you know, financially, this is a huge hit for us. Uh, we are receiving, uh, most of us are receiving unemployment insurance at this point, which is uh, terrific, uh, but it's, it's not our normal salary. Uh, so this is um, uh, quite an undertaking, but it's one that we're very committed to because as we, you know, as I said, lives are in the balance. It is that critical that we get this done, you know, that we continue this fight. And we have our moments where, you know, we need to support each other and we do that on the line. But I guarantee you, we are planning on lasting one day longer than they do. Mm -hmm. I want to give you this opportunity to educate the audience. Uh, you, you're on the front line and we're talking about current conditions that from our discussions, you're saying do not work anymore. What is what is different now regarding the level of patient care, let's just say from 10 years ago or throughout your 39 year career? I, I, I believe you've seen it all. Things have drastically changed um, in the inpatient side of our profession. Um, when I started working at St. Vincent Hospital more than 38 years ago, um, you know, we had uh, team nursing, they called it. Uh, but we had clear supports built into that system that we don't have any longer. We had a guaranteed charge nurse with no assignment. We had um, a med nurse that did meds for the floor. So those two tasks were taken away from the, you know, the person that's in charge of her team. And then in addition to that, we had a very highly trained LPN with us and a highly trained nurse's aide. And so the patients that were in the building at that time, I was sharing with you that the floor that I worked on, we actually had 52 patients on the floor. The floor was split in half and um, my team would be 26 patients. Um, but I, I was taking care of patients that 
the majority of the time were patients that we don't see staying in the hospital any longer. They come in, they have day surgery, they're there for several hours and they go home. So the majority of those patients were very easy to care for. And we had a handful of patients, five or six patients in that assignment that were critically in need of some very complex therapies. Um, but they were not the patients that you know, we're seeing on the floors now. The patients that we have on the floors now in the med surge units are patients that would have been in the ICU 10 or 12 years ago. Um, the medical therapies are much more complex. What we can do for patients is uh, far more critical in nature that, you know, you can do outside of the ICU, but it requires a nurse to be at the bedside for, you know, quite some time for, for certain patients. These patients are critically ill. The only reason you come to a hospital today is because you need a nurse or you might need a respiratory therapist. You know, if, if you can be cared for at home and you're not complex, that's where you are. So we are seeing the sickest of the sick patients on the floors. Um, and after the year of the worst, you know, public health crisis we've seen, the hospital kind of looked at what we were able to do during the pandemic and said, wow, this might be the new norm. You know, um, they were trying to um, saddle us with taking care of patients that really belonged in the ICU. I think they saw this as an opportunity and um, that just cannot happen. It would be a huge disservice to the patients that we are there to serve. And um, we have to speak for them and speak for ourselves that this is not appropriate. Um, this is not good enough for our patients. It's uh, not a way that a multi-billion dollar corporation uh, should be doing business. They are concerned only with their bottom line. And our bottom line is the safety and the care of patients. I thank you for your reaction and your service during COVID. And uh, you make some uh, valid and strong points here that um, you realize that nurses aren't needed all the time. And it is about the level of care needed by the patients and responding to that. Getting back to the strike, uh, are you concerned with the hospital hiring replacement nurses? I mean, that sounds scary, uh, but in theory, I, I suppose they could post our jobs. But in reality, where are they going to find 700 plus nurses to replace us? You know, mm -hmm. so it, it really doesn't make sense. And, and I believe in a rational thought process. Uh, they made the same, you know, um, uh, threats when we went out on strike 21 years ago. And we knew that when we went back into that building, we were all going back to our same jobs. And that will happen again at the end of this strike. So it's just, you know, meant to instill fear and doubt. Um, and we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's insightful and it makes people angry, but I am absolutely not afraid that they will be able to replace us. Mm -hmm. I noticed obviously on your end with the, uh, the nurses and uh, unemployment and again, surviving during the strike, it cost a lot of money for this to happen and on both ends. And, and uh, the investment to continue a hundred plus strike, how is that impacting everyone? And, and also too, with a tenant, do you feel outnumbered? We can't compete with them dollar for dollar. I mean, that's not how we're going to win. Uh, we're going to win by supporting each other by relying on our partners in the community, our labor partners, our elected officials. Um, we're going to rely on the fact that um, this is 
really interfering with their business. You know, we are leaving no stone unturned um, in terms of trying to press every button and pull every lever to interfere with business and the flow of money into that institution. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but there are some interesting um, developments in terms of uh, some very powerful people in government looking into what happened to the money that they received. You know, where did that almost three billion dollars go that they received money? If this is our money, our taxpayers dollars um, that was meant to be um, a cushion at a time during a health crisis to make sure that they were able to um, keep patients safe. And instead, what they did was they paid down their debt. Uh, they padded their bottom line. Uh, they continued to furlough nurses and uh, do daily furloughs by flexing people down and out of the building. So they took care away from patients at a time when they needed it most. And I think a lot of interest has been generated in that vein. Um, and I think those sorts of uh, pressures from the outside are going to be very important to get them to move at the table. Uh, so this effort is, you know, multi-pronged um, and we have to continue to be patient in every day, um, work those facets of our campaign uh, to, to bring pressure to bear on them to get them back to the table. Mm -hmm. And I noticed, too, I was uh, really impressed and very proud with the support you have from your sister unions, your brother unions. And it's just so important to have that type of support. It is. Uh, you know, it is uh, very uplifting for us. Um, they realize wh whether you're a nurse or an iron worker or a plumber or a pipe fitter, people realize that um, we are in this together. You know, we don't have the billions of dollars to fight you know, this corporate giant, this beast of a company. We have each other, though. And uh, I think this really is going to it has it has lit a fire, I believe, um, in the soul of unionists everywhere. And uh, th this is the way to move forward, to be able to create a more just society. This really is an issue of social justice. And I do believe that this has ignited something. And I think that clearly nurses across this country are watching this fight very closely. Um, and not only around the country, but around the world, you know, nurses are united on this, but it's really gratifying to see that workers in general are uniting around this issue. Right. And, and I understand your bottom line, you want to come to a uh, compromise and it is about compromise. It is about balance. Yes. It is. How do you see yourself getting there and how strategically are you going to get back to the table? Our plan basically has not changed. Uh, we responded to a very lengthy proposal that they gave us in the beginning of May. Um, and I agree with you. Negotiations is compromise. Um, and we did compromise uh, in some of what we we're asking for. But, you know, we can't compromise so much that the last 108 days means nothing. That would be, you know, very counterproductive um, and just not someplace that we're willing to go. Um, we feel that the last counterproposal that we put on the table shows the fact that we made movement on what we were asking for with regard to staffing. Unfortunately, the hospital... <laughs> 
doubled down and really is trying to gut our contract and make it, you know, a place that we would not recognize. So unfortunately, at this point, it's not only the staffing issue that we're dealing with, but it's the dismantling of our contract also. Um, we still believe that, you know, we we need to come back to the table. We have implored them, come back to the table, let's get this done. But we cannot continue to negotiate against ourselves because then we would be in a position where the last, you know, almost four months has meant nothing. And uh, we can't have that. Right. And I'm sure at the table, you are presenting scenarios and examples of what has occurred and what you have experienced and your colleagues have experienced as nurses on the front line, on the floor, on a daily basis. And that you're, you're not exaggerating this. Is it possible to give an example can we talk about the ratio that you feel most comfortable with in a given situation? March 11th, I think, was the last day that we met with the hospital in of 2020 in in-person negotiations. <clears throat> and we had a day of testimony that day. We met in a very large conference room and more than 200 nurses throughout a three or four hour period filtered through this room. We could not all get in the, the room at the same time to really bear witness and give testimony to what it was like to have a five patient assignment. And I'm trying to recall, you know, one of the nurses talked about her five patient assignment that included a patient that had a fresh tracheostomy that needed to be suctioned at least every half hour to hour, a patient who was incontinent constantly, who needed to be turned, repositioned and washed so they wouldn't have skin breakdown, a patient that was having active chest pain, having a heart attack, who needed close monitoring and blood pressure checks and intervention with IV medications, um, and, a, and another patient that actually had gone to the cath lab and came back after a procedure and was having some issues with bleeding and another patient in her assignment that had dementia and had fallen out of bed that day. So that's an example of a five patient assignment that without having the appropriate number of patients, which you're right, it probably would have been no more than three patients. You know, because when you're asking for capping at four patients, there has to be some acknowledgement that at times four patients would be too much. So not only did she have probably one or two many patients in her assignment, she had only one nurse's aide available to her that day that was trying to care for all of the patients on that floor because they had to pull one of the PCAs to do a one-on-one -on -one for a patient that was suicidal on that floor. And they had no secretary that day on the floor. And the charge person had a three patient assignment. So that's what we're talking about when we say that not only do we have an insufficient number of ancillary staff, but nurses are just overburdened with a five patient assignment of the sickest patients you can imagine. And then the pandemic hit. So that was an example of something that was going on prior to the pandemic. And then once the, the pandemic was upon us, it became exponentially worse for us. Nurses were having four patient or five patient assignment 
with all patients being COVID positive or at times having uh, a combination of three COVID positive and two non-COVID patients and trying to juggle an assignment like that where you were trying to wash off a thin plastic gown, your PPE, and reuse a mask multiple times over and over again with no one there to help you don and doff that PPE. No extra hands to help you with that. You know, not enough nurses' aides. So these are real life scenarios that are happening every day in that institution. And patients are suffering and nurses are suffering too, because they know that they can't provide the kind of care that is essential. So that that's some a, a, a particular nurse's testimony that I recall very vividly from that day. But I basically heard that over and over different scenarios from different floors. Some of them were patients that, you know, were on chemotherapy that really needed somebody to just sit there and talk with them and hold their hand. And there's no time for that anymore, Lydia. And that that's a, a true loss for, for a caring profession where you can't even take five minutes to sit down and show somebody that you care and emotionally and spiritually support them through the probably the most difficult time in their lives. Right, right. No, I thank you for sharing that. And, and, that's, and that's what I want to share with our audience, these real life scenarios that, that occur daily in a nurse's life. And uh, I feel like the, the care is on a case by case basis as well. I mean, you could be dealing with somebody with a broken arm or, or major surgery on their arm, but it's not as critical as a kidney That's replacement, right. et cetera. That's right. Yes. And, but I will tell you the majority of the time, those, those are not the patients that we're seeing in the hospital. <clears throat> those are the patients that have same day surgery and go home. Um, it's the medically complicated patient that needs to stay in because um, they're fragile, you know. Um, so very rarely do we see patients that what we would call years ago, the walkie talkie patients, those are the patients that go home. So hospitals have really changed very much over the decades. Um, and that's why we see so many fewer beds in the state, you know, because the push has been to get people home sooner than later. One last question I have, or just a, a comment I'd like you to share on this is, obviously we want the, the strike to end and we want both parties to be mutually pleased with the results of the compromise. In, in, in a perfect world, what would be your compromise? The last proposal or counter proposal that we gave them that we handed across the table on May 5th is a, is a counter proposal that I would say shows compromise, but does not compromise um, what we feel are the most critical elements of being able to care for patients appropriately. And we strongly believe that that balanced counter proposal to them would be a way to end this strike. They've already proven that they can afford to do this. There are many hospitals around the state. The other two hospitals in the city of Worcester, uh, both University Campus and Memorial Campus um, of UMass, uh, that have exactly what we're asking for, which is that no nurse is in more than a four patient assignment the majority of the time, knowing that there are times when a nurse may have to take a fifth patient. It should be a rare occurrence, but we have to have the appropriate 
staff for that. We have to have a charge nurse with no assignment. We have to have ancillary staff on the floor. Our nurses' aides, they're critical to the process. And we have to have a secretary on the floor to handle the incoming calls and the, the physician's orders and um, things that need to get done clerically. Um, so we really feel that that last counter proposal is a path forward. We think it shows compromise. Um, and I believe it's only a matter of time before the hospital will have to come back to the table. Um, I'm sure that there is a point that is a bridge too far for them also. They've also spent about $75 million thus far in 108 days of a strike. They could have paid that everything that for everything that we are asking for many times over already. They, they simply have chosen not to do it. And that's wrong. Well, Marie, I thank you so much for joining uh, Building Boston and Beyond today. I, I feel your passion and commend you and all the nurses standing with you. You've clearly built a united front fighting for patient safety. Uh, we will be following uh, this closely, and we hope you come to an agreeable compromise very soon. Thank you, Lydia. It was really a pleasure talking with you and uh, trying to tell our story. I appreciate the time. Thank you. To all you listeners out there, this is a courageous effort underway by these nurses, and support is needed. To donate to the St. Vincent Nurses Strike Fund, go to massnurses.org. That is M-A-S-S-N-U-R-S-E-S dot O-R-G. Visit buildingbostonandbeyond.com to get a glimpse of our future guests and the many ways you can follow us on social media. Join us next time to hear the latest topics of discussion in Boston and beyond.